Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. I love that song, man. That's um, a great song. He is here. Um, and now with us. That's so powerful, you know, and it's easy for us to forget that. The God of the universe is here in this place and, and in our lives, right? The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's not about a building. He lives in us as his people, man, and it's just we need that constant reminder. I need that constant reminder. That's one thing that's so incredible about getting together with God's people that honestly love him because the Spirit of God is living in every single one of us as Christians, as followers of Christ, so Love that, man. Um, so today we're going to be kicking off a brand new series titled Perspective. It's going to be a three-week series that we're going to be in. And um, we're, we're, perspective, first of all, this is kind of the view that you have on things. So the situations we come into, uh, circumstances, uh, 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 the, the places that we step into, whatever it may be, it's the way that we view those things. And through this series, we're going to be diving into the life of two different people. The first guy that we're going to be diving into is the life of Paul and a couple of situations that he um, was, was in and how he handled those things, what his perspective was on those situations. This week and then the last week will be in, in Paul's life, different situations though. And then next week we're going to be diving into the life of David, King David, to see a situation that he was in and the perspective that he took on in that situation. And through this series, I want to encourage you to ask yourself two questions. Look for these things and ask yourself these things, these two questions, as we go through this series. The first question is, what is the world's perspective in this situation? What is the world's perspective in this situation? Second question is, what is God's perspective in this situation? What is the world's perspective? What is God's perspective? Because see, every situation that we step into in life, every place that we step into, has different perspectives that we can choose to take on. And the extent to which we're willing to look at the situations, places that we step into from a different vantage point, from that, that kind of bigger um, outside view, so to speak, that will determine the type of perspective that we carry with us, that we take on. And to kind of, as we step into this, this series, as we kick this series off with perspective, I thought it'd be, it'd be cool to kind of actually display this visually, how quickly we take on certain perspectives. I mean, as soon as we see something, we step into a situation, whatever it may be, we are so quick to just take on, assume a certain perspective as if that is the absolute truth. Like, that is gospel truth. That is what's going on in this situation, and there's nothing else, even though there's other perspectives that are staring us in the face. So what we're going to do, we're going to go through a few pictures here in just a second. And as we go through these pictures, this is like an interactive thing. So you feel free to just, you know, shout something out. The first thing that you see, okay, don't take too long. The first thing that you see when this picture comes up, I want you to go ahead and, and, and say it. You can say it out loud. It's okay. So let's, let's kick that first picture off. First thing that you see, what do you see? Faces. Anybody see anything else? A vase. A vase, that's right. Yeah, a vase. See how quickly we, we're like, no, there's two faces, and other people seeing two va a vase. So we got a couple more. Let's go to that next picture there. All right, so what do you see? A woman, yeah, a woman standing beside a tree on, a, on like a bridge, or if you look at it too, you can almost kind of like, you know, turn your head a little bit, you can see a face in there. Two different ways of seeing that. Let's go to the next one. We got two more. All right, so what do you see here? A face. But what is it actually? It's just two trees. That's all it is, two trees. But then you can see a face in it. Last one. Let's check this out. All right, so what do you see here? Looks like a face. Yeah, yeah. So when you, when you kind of look at it, it looks like a face. But then actually, it's just two houses right there, a guy sitting there, maybe a shepherd sitting there with some sheep. And it's crazy. And this is just kind of a visual illustration. This is how quick we are to assume a certain perspective. And we think, wow, that's what I see. That's what's going on. But then we step back, we look, wait, there's other perspectives that are staring us in the face. But we're so quick to assume these different perspectives as though that is the gospel truth. That is what's going on in this situation. And the reason that this is so important, this topic of perspective, is because the perspective that we choose to take on in a given situation, that will ultimately determine our outlook. That will determine our mindset, our emotions, our feelings, our actions, even the, the outcome of certain situations, depending on what we're doing. 
Our perspectives are powerful, man. They, they are powerful. That's why this is so important. And for us as Christians, we have a choice. This is a choice. We can choose ultimately two main perspectives. We can choose sin's perspective over our lives, our situations, the places that we step into, or we can interchange those words and say, saying sin's perspective, the world's perspective, those are interchangeable. We'll go back and forth with those. So the world's perspective or God's perspective. And when we choose to take on God's perspective, what we're essentially doing is we're seeing our life, our situations, the places that we step into from a God's eye view. And when we adopt a God's eye view, man, that is when even in the prisons in this life, with God's perspective anywhere, can be turned into a lighthouse. That's our big idea. With God's perspective anywhere, can be turned into a lighthouse, even in the worst places, situations from the world's perspective, even in the prisons of this life, whatever those prisons might look like for you. Let's pray. God, I just, I pray that you just use me, just a weak, sinful man, just to, just to spread your gospel and just to, to tell people about you to make you famous. God, I pray that you open our hearts, including mine, our minds, to, to what it is that, that you want us to learn, the things in our life that you want to break down, the barriers, the, the sin that is just hanging on to us to make us more and more like you, Jesus. I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. God, I pray that you help us to, to have this perspective on where we're looking at our situations and our life in general from a God's eye view, from your perspective. Help us to learn to see ourselves and the world around us as you see us and the world around us. God, I pray all of these things in your name, Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, and we love you. Amen. Amen. Um, so again, today, we're going to be diving into the life of Paul and a certain situation that Paul found him in, and we're going to look at how he, the perspective that he took on in that situation. And this story is found in Philippians chapter 1, um, this letter that he wrote to the uh, church in Philippi. And the very first chapter, it's, it's verses 12 through 18. But before we dive into this story, though, I want us to kind of um, take a look at the backstory here, kind of dive into the backstory to see what was going on. That way we can kind of get the bigger picture of, of what's actually happening here. See, um, 10 years prior to Paul writing this letter to the Philippian church, Paul was actually um, involved, a, a big part of helping to start to launch this church. And prior to that, he was actually on a missionary journey. While Paul was on this missionary journey, um, the, the, this church, planning this church um, in, in Philippi, this was nowhere on his radar, man. This was not on his agenda. He did not have this plan like, hey, I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to plant a church. That was not the case at all. He had other things in mind. But on this missionary journey, he gets this like vision, this like Macedonian vision that God gives him. He calls him to go to this other place. So Paul's like, hey, this is your agenda. This, I'm doing what you want me to do. So he goes. He goes to this other place, wasn't even on his radar, and he starts traveling, and then he ends up, he winds up in this place, in this, in this area. And when he winds up there, he does what Paul does best, man. He's spreading the gospel like crazy, right? And people are getting saved. They're coming to Christ. The gospel's spreading. Um, he even, uh, one lady comes up to him. He's, she's mocking him. You know, he's, he's walking to Paul and Silas. He's, she's this lady's mocking him. And he turns around. He just casts a demon out of her. And she gets saved. I mean, it's just incredible. But then on top of that, um, the same thing that happens in a lot of these other places that Paul goes to, persecution starts happening. People, it's kind of uprising. People are, you know, they, they don't like what Paul is saying because it goes against their customs. It goes against what, what they know to be true. And they also don't want the, you know, this fear of the Romans as well. What are they going to think? So these guys end up going to their leaders. And what happens is essentially Paul and Silas, they end up getting thrown in jail. And prior to Paul being thrown in jail, by the way, he gets scored. So he gets, he gets whipped, right? So he gets whipped. They get thrown into jail. They're sitting in this jail cell. You guys probably know this story. Um, as I start saying this, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that story. Paul and Silas in this jail cell that night, they start singing praises to God, right? Like, like Paul has been whipped, right? I mean, a lot of pain, obviously. He's sitting in this jail. I mean, you could be thinking, dude, God, you called me to go here. I'm where you want me to be. But, I mean, instead of doing that, Instead of doing that, instead of having that perspective of, God, what are you doing? You called me to go here. Now I'm sitting inside of a jail. 
he instead starts singing praises to God right in the middle of that jail. And something incredible happens. As they're singing praises, Paul and Silas, to God, the, um, the jail cell, actually, the door starts shaking and rattling, so much so that they spring open. And they're free to go, right? And so you would think, if that was you in that moment, what would you be doing? You're free to go. Hey, I'm going to run out of here, right? And Paul and Silas don't do that. What they do, they stay there. The reason that they stay there is because the guard, the guy that was supposed to be guarding them, is about to kill himself. The reason he's about to kill himself is because the, the, um, uh, 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 what would happen if these guys, um, were, somebody were to get released or, or uh, set free or escape from jail, whether it was intentionally or it was a mistake, it doesn't matter, um, they would end up getting killed. Like, I mean, that was kind of the sentence that you got. If somebody escaped on your watch, then hey, off with your head type of thing, right? So he's like, look, they're not going to do that. I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to go ahead and end it right now. I'm not going to go through all that. I'm just going to end it. So Paul and Silas see this. This guy's about to kill himself. They stop. They go over to them and they're like, look, we're still here. Don't kill yourself. And we're still here. And so they actually save him from killing himself. And then they tell him the truth of the gospel. The dude gets saved. His family gets saved. It's just incredible, man. Like God's provision through that moment. And again, that God's, God's eye view, God's perspective in that moment because they decided to stay there. And then what happens after that? You're thinking, okay, wait a second. But they would have found him, right, and put him back in jail. Well, here's what happens soon after. They find out that because Paul was born in Tarsus, he's a Roman citizen. Because he's a Roman citizen, that kind of gives him this elevated status. And when they find that out, they're like, oh, wait, no, no, you're free to go. You're free to go. So, I mean, we're not going to hold you in jail for this, right? You're free to go. You're a Roman citizen. They find that out. He's free to go. So what is probably the greatest evangelist that ever lived going to do if you set him free from jail? He's no longer a prisoner. What is he going to do? He's going to go spreading the gospel. He's going to go on like a gospel spreading spree or something like that. Try saying that 10 times fast. Um, he's just going to spread the gospel all over the place. And that's what he did. Everywhere he went, left, right, he was spreading the gospel. People getting saved like crazy. It was awesome. And that's how this church, uh, this Philippian church, gets started. Okay? Now, the thing about this church, too, man, these guys, got they were on fire for Christ. They loved Jesus. They, 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 it wasn't just like this belief in this superficial thing. They loved Jesus. They were on fire for him. They supported Paul and his ministry and his missions, I mean, so much. And Paul would brag on these guys because they supported him so much. They got it. It wasn't a superficial thing. They were like, no, this is awesome. We're just going to give everything that we can to support the gospel, to spread the gospel, and to support Paul on his missionary journeys, right? That's that church in Philippi. That's kind of how they got started. And they were just on fire for Christ. Very generous giving church. Fast forward 10 years later. Paul is writing this letter to this church. This giving church that's on fire for Christ. 10 years later, all of a sudden it's this situation where they still believe. They're still on fire in ways, but they're starting to doubt. They're doubting what God's doing. They're questioning, what is God doing? What is God up to? Right? The reason that they're questioning this is because, again, they were such a generous church. They gave so much. that They gave almost unto, like, poverty. I mean, it was anything that they could possibly give, they would give um, towards spreading the gospel, towards Paul's missionary journeys, through, I mean, prayer, energy, anything that they could. And, and they believed that God was going to do something incredible, continue spreading the gospel, and then they find out this news. They find out this news after they've done all this, that Paul, this guy that they have been, you know, just, just generously giving this money towards and praying for all this time and energy, is now in prison. He's in prison. And not only is he in prison, but he is guarded 24-7 by the Imperial Guard. This dude ain't going nowhere. And obviously, if you rewind back 10 years prior, they've forgotten what God did before, Right? They're in this other mindset, but to them, in that mindset, this worldly mindset, they're thinking, dude, it's over. It's over. Like, well, I mean, what's going to happen now? It is a failure. The mission is a failure. So a couple of the main reasons, not the only reasons, but a couple of the main reasons that Paul writes this letter. For one, it's to remind them, look, look, 
We don't serve a God that is bound, by, that bound down by our time schedules, our, the places that we go, our situations. He is above all of those things. He can still work no matter what is going on in your life, no matter where I'm at, you're at. God is still in control, and he can still work, number one. Number two, he writes this letter to tell them about what God is doing because of his imprisonment. And notice I said the word because. Because of his imprisonment. Paul's essentially saying, you are not going to believe what God is doing because I am in prison. This is going to blow your mind. This is going to amaze you. Just wait to see what I have to say. But what God is doing because I'm in prison. So that's where we're at in this letter. Let's dive into this together. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. It says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. For others um, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambitions, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So, for the next several minutes, I want us to kind of dive into this, this text. We're going to hone in on this, dissect it together. We don't have any other texts. This is it. So we're going to kind of dissect this together and, and see what exactly is going on here, starting with the very first verse, chap, uh, verse 12, the first few words where Paul says, now I want you to know. Now I want you to know. Now when Paul is saying this, what he's essentially saying here is like, look, look, Listen up. You need to kind of lean in. Your ears should perk up. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Don't miss this. This is important. You don't want to miss what I'm about to say here. And then he goes on to say, what has happened to me has actually, that word actually, advanced the gospel. And see, when we see this word actually, this kind of implies this is counterintuitive. This is kind of countercultural. This is opposite of what the world would think. You know, rather than thinking, hey, in this situation, you know, you've given all this time, all this money, all of this energy, all of these prayers, and the world would say that it's over, that it's been a failure, that you've wasted all of this time, all of this money, and it's over. I mean, it's game over. It's not going to continue spreading. The gospel's not going to continue advancing. It's all done. I mean, what is going to happen with Paul in prison? right? And put yourself in their shoes for a moment, because it's really easy for us to think, you know, kind of, you know, have this other picture where we're reading this story. But if, if we were in that situation, if you were the ones, if this church, your family specifically too, had given tons of money, I ain't just talking about your 10%, dude. I'm talking about you had given in excess almost unto poverty, like everything that you could possibly give. Hey, I don't need this little bit over here I got in savings. I'm going to give it over here to Paul. I'm going to give everything that I can. And then you, you can't really give anything else, so you just pray. And you're constantly with your family, your friends. You're talking about it. Oh, what's Paul doing now? Hey, let's pray for him. Let's get together talking about what's going on and, and how God is advancing the gospel. This is like, you know, this is some of the main things that is on your mind, uh, the topics, the conversations you're having, the prayer. And then all of a sudden you find out that this dude's in prison. And he's guarded by the imperial guard. And he's probably not going to get out anytime soon. What would you be thinking in those moments, man? What would you be thinking? And see, that's the popular opinion. That's kind of the world's view on this situation. But what Paul is saying is, look, even though that's the world's opinion, that's the world's view on this situation, actually... Actually, what has happened is, in fact, advancing the gospel. He's calling them to look at it from a different perspective, a different vantage point. Actually, what has happened is it is advancing the gospel. And this, this word advance, this was a word in biblical language, this word is used to uh, progress 
um, something that's going to progress even through obstacles, through barriers. No matter what is in your way, it continues moving forward. It continues progressing. It was actually used by the military um, when, when the military, let's say it was a squad or a platoon that got to a certain location and they needed to keep on going. Um, down, you know, they needed to like make a path, but they get to this wooded area or a place where there's this barrier and they can't keep on going. They need to make a path, right? So instead of going around it, they're like, hey, we got to go this way. We're going to make a path. We're going to clear this barrier, this wooded area, whatever it may be. So if it's a wooded area, what they would do, they would have a guy go out, one of the soldiers go out to the front, take his sword, and he would start cutting away at anything that was in his path. Any obstacles that were in his path, right? It's kind of this, this mindset of, uh, or this uh, uh, idea of plowing through something, just plowing through any obstacle, anything that is in their way so that they and everybody else behind them and with them could go through. And, and so what Paul is essentially saying here is, look, this has not been easy, okay? I'm not saying that what is going on has been easy for me. And I'm not saying that there haven't been obstacles okay i'm sitting in a prison obviously this isn't easy and there have been obstacles but even with the obstacles everything that has come our way come my way god has plowed through them all he has made a way and this was intentional i am exactly where god wants me at god has made a path where there was no path where there was no way to advance the gospel in this way, in this place, God plowed through and made a way. And now the gospel is advancing in ways that we couldn't even have dreamed of, that we couldn't have fathomed, in ways that there is no way at all that we could have spread them. And it's all because of God. And then in verse 13, Paul tells us just how effective this has been, just how much the gospel has been advancing when he says that the entire imperial guard had heard the gospel the entire imperial guard and what we have to know about these guys is these guys weren't just your normal everyday soldiers okay they were like the elite of the elite they were like your navy seals of the day right i mean like even they were handpicked and in order to be a part of these elite soldiers not only were you handpicked but that automatically meant that you got more pay a lot more pay. You got a better retirement package. You got all these incentives. You were treated a lot better. These were the elite of the elite, and they had to be veterans. They picked veterans, right? Handpicked them, like Navy SEALs of the day. These guys, part of their job, they had several jobs. The, the main part of their job was, one, to guard the emperor of Rome. Um, another part of their job was to guard kind of key officials, you know, higher-up type officials. Um, and, and then another part was to guard certain prisoners. That's part of what they would do, okay? There were about roughly 9,000 of these guys during that day and age. Um, and when they were guarding Paul, they weren't guarding him in the way that you would probably assume, right? Like, like when we think about, um, you know, somebody being guarded, um, you, you may know somebody that does this, or even like those TV shows where you watch it, like Lockdown or whatever else. I don't know. There's probably some TV show out there. Uh, but you, know, you watch these shows, and, and, and these guards are like walking through um, like a hallway. And nowadays, too, we have these uh, video cameras where you can go in there, and you can even watch what they're doing. So for one, they didn't have video cameras, right? And two, they're not walking through a hallway or sitting outside of the cell. These guys are inside of the cell with Paul. Like, they have no choice. They have to be inside of the cell with Paul. That's how they guarded him. And not only are they inside of the cell with Paul, they are also shackled to Paul. Like literally, they have to go inside of the cell with Paul, not this huge area, like this little cell. They have to shack, put a shackle around their wrist, a chain that runs to Paul's wrist, shackled around his wrist. And this ain't some huge chain, dude. This, this ain't some huge chain. This is kind of a smaller chain. They are literally shackled to Paul. Now, now here's the thing about this. Well, first of all, before I go there, this was a 24-7 thing. They would, go, they would be with him one person at a time for six hours. So if you were the one that was that, that was your post, you would go in there, shackled to Paul for six hours. After that six hours, another person would take your place for six hours. Then after that, another person would take your place for six hours. And you get the drift. 24-7. They are shackled to Paul. No one else, nothing else to do in this little cell, not even a long chain, 
Okay, you get the picture. The guy that they're shackled to, Paul. Again, the greatest evangelist probably that ever lived. This dude loves nothing more than to talk about the gospel. You think you love talking about Jesus? Dude, this dude loved talking about Jesus probably more than most anybody else ever. He loved talking about Jesus, about the gospel. He was gifted, obviously, with this as well. He planted churches. So this guy loved nothing more than talk about the gospel, talk about Jesus, pray, sing praises to God, write letters like this letter that he's writing to this Philippian church constantly. That is what these guys are, are um, hearing. And they're next to him as he's praying, spreading, talking about Jesus all the time. And not only are they hearing this, but they are seeing this in him. They are seeing this radical faith right up close and perfect for, for six hours at a time. And then someone else sees it constantly back and forth. Man, tons of these guys, several of these guys were getting saved. Their families were getting saved. And get this, it traveled so much. The word of the gospels traveled so much that it actually reached Caesar's household. Like that's how much it spread. The entire imperial guard heard the gospel. Now, these guys would not have had the chance most likely to hear the gospel unless someone was inside with them hearing the gospel. No choice but to hear it. Paul, or God has used the situation that Paul is in so that he can spread the gospel to these guys. He has plowed through, made a way to spread the gospel. See, the outside perspective, we're thinking, okay, we're going to, you know, Paul's thinking, we're going to plant these churches over here in the church in Philippi. We're going we're to plant these churches, and we're going to spread the gospel in these areas. And God's mind is like, no, look, I love them too. I love them. They may be the Romans, you know, imperial guard, and, but, but I love them. I want the gospel to spread over here. So how can we do this? Paul goes in. It's incredible. And it doesn't stop there. The spread of the gospel doesn't just stop with the imperial guard. And again, it goes all the way up to Caesar's household. That's how much it spreads. But get this. Some other guys that were confronted with the gospel because of this were actually Caesar's officials, right? Um, his uh, uh, like kind of court officials. So again, Paul was born in Tarsus, right? That means he, by birth, was a Roman citizen. So because he's a Roman citizen, that kind of puts him at his elevated status. They have to kind of take him seriously, look at him a little differently. Laws kind of been a little bit more in his favor for certain things, uh, things of that nature, right? Um, but then on top of that, the situation that, the reason that he's in there and what's going on in that situation, this is like a legit case, okay? This is a new religion, like a religious sect. This, this, these Christians that are kind of on the rise, and it's like spreading all over the place, and, and there's like a lot of uprise with it too, a lot of kind of turmoil. So they have to take this seriously. And again, Paul is a Roman citizen, so this is a legit case. So because of that, these Roman officials, the court officials, the Roman Empire is now forced to study the doctrines of Christianity. Like they have no choice but to do in-depth research and study the gospel. And guess who is one of the main guys that they're going to get some of their information from? Perhaps the guy that is in prison shackled to their imperial guard? Paul, one of the greatest evangelists ever, they have to hear the gospel and get this information from Paul to study the gospel. They have no choice, man. Like, imagine how Paul is feeling in this moment while he's sitting in that prison cell hearing that not only are all these guys hearing the gospel and it's spreading like wildfire, these people are getting saved. And of course, they're excited about it, so they're talking about their families getting saved. But then these Roman officials in the court, the Roman Empire is being forced now to research and to dive into the gospel message this dude i'm sure is ecstatic at this point he's probably thinking to himself dude i should have gotten locked up a long time ago this is incredible i mean think about this for a moment think about how crazy this situation is okay because paul is in prison okay let's dive into this because he's in prison he now has he's provided for Okay, outside of the prison, he didn't always have food. He didn't always have shelter. He was all over the place. I mean, you read about what happened to this guy. He was crazy, right? So now all of a sudden he's in prison. He always has a place to sleep. He always has shelter over his head and he's always got meals. He's got food provided for him. Not only that, people want to kill this dude all the time. He is constant. I mean, talks about he's always in danger from robbers, in danger from thieves, in danger from people that, you know, want to persecute him because he's spreading the gospel. He isn't constantly in fear for his life. Now, he's being guarded by some of the most elite 
men in the entire world at that time. The Roman Empire was the powerhouse of the world, and these are the most elite of the elite soldiers. Nobody's going to get to this dude. He is protected by these guys, right? Not only that, what does he want to do more than anything else? He wants to spread the gospel. That's right, man. He wants to spread the gospel. Now, he's got to go all over the place, right? He's got to go, you know, travel around. It's dangerous. It's cold. Whatever else. He doesn't have a place to sleep. Whatever. Well, now, he gets to stay where he's at. They literally come to him in this little cell, shackle themselves to him for six hours at a time. He's just sitting there. That's not, that wasn't his choice. They literally just come in, shackle themselves to him for six hours at a time, 24-7. He doesn't even have to go to look for people. They are coming to him and hearing the gospel. And the entire Roman Empire is now hearing about the gospel, man. I mean, this is crazy, dude. This, there is no way that this could have happened without God. This is one of those situations where you just stop and you stand in amazement and you're like, how in the world? There is no way. There is no way. All you can say is God did. Just stand in awe and amazement at what he has done and what he's continuing to do. And it is just amazing. And then in verse 14, Paul says that um, it, it was also being noticed. Like all these things are going inside of the prison, the, the, all these things that are going on and the gospel spreading is just incredible. But then also not only that, but outside of the prison, th there's things that are going on. People are hearing about What's happening? These, these Christians are hearing about how the gospel is spreading like crazy. It's like, wait, these people are getting saved? These people are hearing? The, the Roman Empire is studying the gospel? I mean, it's just crazy, even in the situation where Paul is in prison. And so they are just on fire, dude. I mean, these guys, if you thought they were motivated before, now they are just, and the, the word tells us that they are fearlessly proclaiming the gospel. I can see them huddling around saying, look what God is doing through Paul, even in prison. Guys, look, look what God is doing. Nothing can stop the gospel. Let's just go out there and boldly preach. If you thought they were boldly preaching before, they are now boldly preaching more than ever before because of imprisonment and what God is doing through that. And then in uh, verses 15 through 17, Paul writes about two different groups of people. He writes about these people that are spreading the gospel. Both groups are spreading the gospel, but one group of people that is spreading it out of rivalry and, and um, envy, and then another group that's spreading it out of goodwill. Two group of people, okay? The ones that are spreading it out of rivalry and, and envy, um, we don't know exactly what was going on, but essentially what's happening is these guys, they're kind of building their own kingdoms in a way, right? They're trying to build their own kingdom. They've got these other ulterior motives behind this, whether they don't like Paul, they want him out of the way, they want to be more famous than Paul, whatever it may be. They've got these ulterior motives. And rather than focusing on the kingdom and being kingdom-minded, they're being distracted by their own agendas, their own motives. And essentially what they're doing is they're more concerned with building their own kingdoms than God's kingdoms. But here's the thing, don't miss this. They're still preaching the truth of the gospel. They're still preaching the truth of the gospel. If they weren't, then, then Paul would have said that they're teaching a false gospel. Because he talks about this all the time, right? A false gospel. He didn't say that. They were preaching the truth of the gospel. The gospel was spreading even through these people. And practically speaking, too, that also tells us that, man, it is so important, the motive behind what we do, right? Why we want to preach the gospel, not just preaching the truth of the gospel. The word even tells us that Satan knows, right? Satan knows the gospel in the Bible, get this, better than we do. He was there when it was written, right? He knows it. Does that mean he's saved? No, no. It's not just about preaching the truth of the gospel. It's the motive, the heart, and why we do it. And then this other group of people, right? They're doing it out of goodwill. That doesn't mean that they're perfect people. There are no perfect people. Paul is not a perfect person. They have their own struggles, their battles, pride, fear, whatever it may be, temptations, all these different things. We all do. But at the end of the day, what they desire, what they want is, God, I want your kingdom to be famous. I want to make you famous, not me. I want, I want to, to preach your gospel so that the kingdom can spread. Your kingdom, not mine. That is ultimately their heart, their motive in this. And then in verse 18, the last verse in this text, Paul tells us something incredible about both groups of these people. 
the ones that are preaching it out of rivalry and envy, the ones that are preaching it out of goodwill. He says, what does it matter? What does it matter? In other words, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because the gospel is spreading like wildfire. I mean, people are getting saved. People are hearing the truth of the gospel. At the end of the day, God is in control. He is the one that is spreading the gospel through these people. Even people that have the wrong motives, he is still using them to spread the gospel. Now, does that mean that Paul is saying, hey, these guys are off the hook that are preaching it for the false motives? No, he's not saying that. They're going to have to answer to God for that if they're even saved. Because again, just because you know the truth of the gospel does not mean you're saved. Satan knows, right? They have to answer to God. But regardless, at the end of the day, in this situation, the gospel is being spread by all kinds of people in a way that it has not before, that it would not have been before because God has plowed through and made a way for it to be spread. And because of this, in the last part of verse 18, Paul says that he will rejoice. And he says, and I will continue to because the gospel is being spread in this situation. And as incredible as all this is, guys, we, we can't forget that Paul, Paul is not a perfect man, okay? Jesus was tempted. If Jesus was not above temptation, why would we think that Paul was above temptation? Okay? Paul was in this prison. Okay? He, was, he was locked up in prison for two years, just this time. He was actually total five to six years, five and a half roughly years that he was in prison. Not all together, but during this period of time, two years that he was in prison. Do you honestly think that he never struggled with depression? That he never struggled with fear? That he never struggled with maybe anxiety or you know, even doubt. Who's somebody else that struggled with doubt while in jail? Maybe the guy that Jesus himself said there has been no other, no greater man that has ever lived, John the Baptist, who sent somebody to ask, are you really who you say you are? You think Paul didn't do that? Struggle with doubt in these moments? Paul was not above temptation. Jesus was not above temptation. Why would we think he was? But here's the thing. Here's what Paul did, even with the temptations, the struggles, the depression, all these different things that went through his head and the battles. Rather than choosing to take on the perspective of the world, sin's perspective of his life and his situation, he chose to take on God's perspective of his life and his situation. See, Paul knew, just like James says, that this life is like vapor, man. It's here one moment, gone the next. It feels like sometimes it's never going to end. But the thing is, man, when we get back, when we get to heaven, dude, looking back in the span of eternity, it, we're gonna, it's going to be like less than the amount of time it takes to tie your shoe. You're going to be like, I barely even remember that, man. I mean, just like that, and Paul knows that. He knows that he was created for something so much bigger than, than this momentary here and now life of vapor. He was made for eternity in paradise with Jesus for all of eternity. He knows that. But right here, right now, he knows that he has been given a mission. Every single one of us have been given a mission to spread the gospel to so many people that don't know it, to as many people as possible, so that as many people as possible can be saved. He's mission-minded. He is focused on the mission, and he is taking on God's perspective, looking at it from a God's eye view. And guys, when we choose to put on God's perspective of our life and our situations, that's when even the prisons in this life can become lighthouses for Jesus Christ. When we live mission-focused lives, constantly focusing on the mission for Jesus to spread his good news, the gospel at all costs, then we're going to begin to see every situation, every place this life throws at us as an incredible opportunity given to us by the God of the universe to be a part of his plan, save countless lives with the gospel message of hope, freedom, and redemption. We may be in this world, but we are not of this world. We're just passing through. Imagine something with me for, for just a moment. Imagine that you just received information um, that there is a city far off, somewhere else. And this city, sometime in the near future, you don't know exactly when, but sometime in the near future, they are going to be bombed. You get this information, you hear this. They don't know it. You do. And you've been tasked with the mission to go to this place and to tell as many people as possible about what's going on, the truth, because they don't know it. 
And so you get there. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in that situation? What is your mindset going to be? Are you going to waste your time making excuses for why you can't do this? Are you going to waste your time getting distracted and bogged down by all these different things that come your way? Are you going to just say, hey, you know what? This place is it's not going to be here much longer. The city's not going to be here much longer, so I might as well enjoy it while I can. I'm going to live it up and enjoy it as much as I can. Is that going to be your mindset? No, man. No. You're going to do everything that you can. If you take it seriously, you're going to do everything that you can to tell as many people as possible about the truth. How they respond is up to them. But when we take this seriously, knowing that our response is also our responsibility, spreading the truth of the gospel, spreading the truth of what's going on in this scenario to as many people as possible. doesn't matter. I mean, taking time, energy, resources, money, um, you know, gifts, whatever it may be. To tell as many people as possible so that as many people as possible can be saved. Now let me ask you something. When it comes to the gospel, does that look like your life? Does that honestly look like your life? Are you honestly sharing Jesus with people in some way every day? I mean, in your families and in your household, with your, with your spouse, with your kids, what, what better way to disciple someone than your own children? Are you telling people or, or showing people, displaying Jesus, being the hands and feet of Jesus, the places that you go, the gas station, the grocery store, wherever it may be? Are you honestly displaying Jesus, telling people about Jesus and spreading the gospel? As no matter where we go, God can and will use us to shine his light through us this dark and dying world. but we have to we have to take on god's perspective of our life our situations the places that we step we have to we have to be able to learn how to see things through his eyes but here's the question begs the question how do we do this like i get paul did this but Paul was like a superhero of the faith, right? When I, look, when I think of Paul, I, I think of like this superhero standing up on like a building or something with a cape flying back there, you know? I mean, just like, this guy was a superhero of the faith. He did it. How can I do this? Well, well let's, let's dive into that. I want to I wanna end with three practical ways that we can begin to start seeing from God's perspective, from a God's eye view and our pla- the places that we step into our situations and circumstances in life. The first one is by practicing to see God move in the little things, that we can see God in the bigger things. Practicing to see God in the little things so that we can see him in the bigger things. So how do we do this? Think about the things that he's done in your life. Keep your eyes open. Keep your ears open. Look for things that he is doing in your life. No matter how little or insignificant it may seem, Nothing is little or insignificant. The fact that we are standing here today, sitting in this room, there are billions of miracles. You understand that? For us to be able to do this, nothing is small or insignificant. Every little thing. Waking up in the morning, taking a breath, thanking God for that breath, counting out all of your blessings. Thank you, God, for the breath. Thank you for the trees. Looking at the sky, wow, God, you are amazing counting all of these things, anything that you can think of, all of these blessings that we have, our family, our friends, our church, all of these things, seeing God in the little things. And then when things happen, when he opens a door, whether it's finances, a situation where you had no clue how something was going to be handled, how God was going to provide, and all of a sudden he provides. Remembering that, writing it down. Because what happens is when we learn to do these things, and what we're doing is we're training ourselves, we're equipping ourselves to be able to see him in the bigger things. When life gets hard, when life squeezes in on us, we have trained ourselves, we have equipped equipped ourselves to be able to see him in every little thing, to be able to see the blessings. And then we can return to those memories that we've kept of what he's done, how he's provided. And then we can carry those with us in the bigger things, in the harder seasons life. The second thing is being mission-minded in everywhere that we go. 
everywhere we go, spreading the gospel, being the hands and feet of Jesus. The Great Commission, as Christians, man, as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, we, you realize we don't have a choice in this, right? Like, technically speaking, as Christians, we are commanded by the God of the universe to make disciples. That is the last thing Jesus said before he ascended. This is huge, to make disciples, to tell people about Jesus, invite them to church, be the hands and feet of Jesus, show them Christ. Man, something that we're going to have the opportunity to do this for, for people that are going um, out to eat after church today, you're going to have the opportunity to do this. And something that breaks my heart, man, is I hear this all the time, and I think probably most people in here have heard this too, that when people are servers or waitresses, you know, at, at restaurants, you ask them, what is the worst time to, to work? When do, you, when do you hate working and serving people the most? What time of the week? Most of them are going to say Sunday morning. Why? Because of the Sunday morning crowd, the people coming in after church, the Christians. So wait a second. They're supposed to see us. They're, they're supposed to, it's supposed to be evident that we are Christians because of our love, right? Jesus says. We're supposed to reflect and emulate Jesus Christ, right? And then all of these people are saying that that's the worst time, man. And it amazes me. One thing that I really try very, very hard to do, and I try very, be, to be very intentional about this, is anywhere that I go, if it's a restaurant or whatever it may be, I try to ask them how they're doing. And I probably do it in excess, and I've probably done it to a lot of you, and it's intentional. I, I've trained myself to do that, because I want you to know, I want that person to know, look, I see you. You matter. You are valuable, no matter what's going on around me, how chaotic this crazy brain may be right now. You matter, and I see you. How are you doing? And I'm going to tell you something else that breaks my heart is when I do that so often, especially in restaurants, people will look at me and say, wow, people don't usually do that. I'm thinking, why? Why? Christians, shouldn't we be doing that all the time? Emulating Christ, reflecting Jesus, spreading the gospel. We shouldn't be ashamed of this, man. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. And then third, to be Selfless. This is the last one. Be selfless. This isn't just about you and me. There is a bigger picture here. There's a bigger picture. It's not about our kingdoms. It's about God's kingdom. Being selfless, being the hands and feet of Jesus, serving other people, thinking of others as more important than yourself. Can you imagine if we as Christians actually did that? How would this world be different? How would our churches be different? Goodness, man. And not just of our time, talents, you know, money, but then the gifts that God has given us. Guys, the more that we practice seeing God move in the little things, the more that we focus on the mission of making disciples for Christ, and the more that we are selfless of our time, talents, and treasures, the more that we will be able to see every place we step into from God's perspective. And with God's perspective, that is when even prison in this life can be turned into. As the worship team comes up, I'm going to encourage you guys to do kind of some self-examination here. And to look at your own life and, and the perspectives that you've been taking on in a situation, a circumstance, whatever it may be. What has your, been your perspective in life? And this isn't saying that, you know, well, we should never talk about the things we struggle with, because James 5, 16, that's contradictory to that. Confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so you may you know, be healed. And, and uh, being able to talk to people, accountability. But I'm talking about, is your life consumed with those things? Or is it consumed with the gospel? Spreading God, the gospel, making Jesus famous rather than yourself. What's going on in your life? What is your perspective in life and situation? Ask yourself. And if you've never heard the gospel message, if you're here today, you've never heard the gospel, then I want to take a moment and just tell you, man, look, the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. It is the only way. And if you do not know Jesus and you are wanting to know him, then please do not leave here today. 
about talking to me, one of the other elders, grab somebody else that you know is a Christian in this place. We would love to talk to you. We'll save you right there where. Hey guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. And it's called baptism. And baptism is so key, it's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's this symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.